Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. And what's up, what's up? Welcome back. GC Live Wednesday episode of the show. We are live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and then, of course, all the other podcast platforms after the fact. I'm Wes Mitchell. Join now the triumphant return of Chris Clark. Yes. I want to say I want to say you look well-rested, but I, I don't know. You look about like normal. Um so that's a rough, that's a rough comment. Um, but no, I, I'm glad to have Chris back because I have uh, rambled on for the last two days for an hour each about, um, and I have no idea what I've even said. So, um, I, I mean, sometimes it goes by fast. Sometimes it goes by, uh, slow. So I, I know everybody's glad to hear from Chris and have him back. And, um, we got everybody in the chat again, coming in strong. The usual suspects are here. Chris, how how's how's it feel, man? You glad to be back? Yeah, I'm glad to be back. It's been a busy day, you know, catching up on everything. Good to hear everybody. Good to see everybody. And I uh, got some good family time during the bye week. Just took a couple days, you know, and uh, appreciate you hanging in there while I was gone. But it's good to be back. Ready to get back after it here on Wednesday, a Carolina football game on Saturday. So a lot to talk about, a lot to get to. Yeah, plenty to talk about here, man. Of course, our show brought to you by Affordable Medical USA. Check them out at AffordableMedicalUSA.com. Give them a call, 803-926-1493. And they are home of the game day chair. So, uh, Chris, I'm still waiting on us to get our own game day chair. But tell everybody about how they can get theirs for this final five-game stretch of the season and, and beyond, though. I mean, you, you're going to have basketball games to watch. You're going to have Carolina baseball games to watch. I mean, NFL playoffs. It's a game-day chair that extends beyond the scope of just South Carolina Gamecocks football. That's right. It's, an, it's just an awesome chair. It's an any sport game-day chair. It's a Netflix chair. It's a posting on Gamecock Central from your laptop chair or your tablet, if you would like. So, yeah, check those guys out. Numbers up there on the screen, 803. 926-1493 for those of you who are watching on one of our streaming channels, affordablemedicalusa.com. What you want to search for there is the Maxi Comfort Cloud with Twilight. Huge, comfortable, roomy recliner um, that has a variety of positions that you can get to with just the push of a button. Super comfortable fabric. Check them out there or go to GamecockCentral.com. Click on the GC Live front page story or if you're on YouTube in the description there, you can get a direct link to the game day chair. They are our main sponsor. They are the primary reason that we do this show on a daily basis. So make sure you support them. Yeah, we'll have a little bit more 
I was going to say one sponsor. Actually, two. We'll have a little bit more later on on our new sponsor. And then we're going to be out and about in the Columbia area later on this week. That's official, right? It's officially Uh, official. Yeah. So it's officially official. We're going to let you know about that a little bit later on, how you can come hang out with us on Friday, maybe a little happy hour, and and actually check out a place that I've never been. So I'm excited about that. But all right, man. So Will Muschamp talks yesterday, of course. Players talk today. As I said, they're they're all tired of hearing my take on the game. Um, I will say, to start it off, before I get your big picture take, players talk today because, you know, um, they had yesterday off due to the election. Dude, you could have just posted the defensive guys. You could have just – they could have just held up a sign (laughs) for every question that said, stop the run. It it, kind of reminds me of – I think it was last year before the Florida game, and the previous year South Carolina had given up like a 1,000 yards rushing or something to Florida. I mean, it it was a big number. You remember the second half, Florida um, ran all over South Carolina, and Muschamp, I think, had those shirts or signs made or something that was like, I gave up 300 yards rushing to Florida. Um, Zach Pickens talking about it, and, and don't get me wrong, they were asked about it, but also as as the game sort of goes along, or as the press conference sort of goes along, Pickens, Kier, J.C. Horn, they're all got to stop the run, got to stop the run. Got. I mean, you can tell a lot of times these guys, Chris, they parrot what they're being told by the staff during the week. And there's no question in my mind that throughout the bye week, throughout this week, They've had it hammered into their brain. You have to stop the run better. And, and even J.C. Horn, you know, he was like, hey, there is a technique to this, but we got to change our mindset was what J.C. said. And he, he even said the mindset was not what it needed to be to stop the run against LSU. So I think this has become a matter of pride. Um, th- does that mean you're just going to go magically stop the run? Of course not. But – does it mean you can see a little bit better showing and give yourself a chance, potentially? Yeah, and that's going to be the key in this game. I mean, look, you're going against an A&M team that we know with the way that Jimbo Fisher structures his offense, there, a lot of it's going to be predicated on let's try to run the football, let's try to run a lot of play action off that. He'll use the tight end, he'll use the fullback in situations. I mean – in some ways it's similar to Mike Bobo with that. And that's something that Will Muschamp's talked about philosophically. There's some similarities there. And then you have the added dimension of Kellen Mond can run. You know, a lot of people, when we talk about the run game, they're going to talk about Isaiah Spiller and the matchup up front with the D line versus Texas A&M's offensive line. That's great. That's going to be huge in this game, but you can't discount, Kellen Mond being an extension of the run game, right? Even if it's in scramble situations, he's hurt South Carolina in all 15 games he's played against them um, over the course of his career. No, seriously, he's played three, and it seems like a lot more, but he's hurt them extending plays and with some of his runs, whether he's ended up throwing the ball, whether he's ended up scrambling around, he's hurt them at times. And so that's going to be another aspect of this, but that that's definitely starting point A is stopping the run. And, Again, I'll go back to it. A lot of things that we've said 
I feel like we could hold up a sign on this show at times with some of the things that we've said also, but until they change, we're going to keep saying them. This team has shown vulnerabilities in the run all year, even against Vanderbilt. You wouldn't know it looking at the box score, looking at the score line, even watching the game, really. But it was there. And when you play a team like LSU with a bigger offensive line, capable backs despite their struggles the rest of the year, you can get exposed. And that's what happened. I think South Carolina defensively, whatever their mindset was going into that game, it wasn't good enough. I don't know if it's because of a freshman quarterback. They didn't, maybe they didn't believe LSU could whip them up front like that. Whatever it was, it wasn't the right mindset and they didn't play very well and they got exposed because of it. So it's an area that you got to get fixed. You look at Isaiah Spiller this year. He's had some really good games. I mean, 117 against Vandy on just eight carries, you know, 174 against Florida in the upset win over the Gators, 114 against Mississippi State. He, he had 82 against Arkansas, wasn't a phenomenal game. 3.9 a carry, but 82 yards. Only The only quality game he didn't have was against Alabama. He was 11 rushes for 25 yards. You know, that was it. So it's uh, it's going to be the starting point of the offense. You know, you got to get A&M in third and longs, which this team has struggled to do at times this year, especially against LSU. And then from there, you got to contain Mont. Yeah, so, man, I, I think uh, – let, let's, let's go back to Mond and – sort of zoom in on him. I think it's always interesting new when a new quarterback comes in. I remember Mond against South Carolina, true freshman. He's a guy that, you know, is coming on, and this would have been, what, so we're in 2020, so 2019, 2018, 20, so 2017. Yep. Which I, you're right, dude. It seems like he's been there since at least uh, 2010. But he was he was uh, Johnny Manziel's backup. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, so I, I remember Mind being the guys as, as a and and for whatever reason, man, that play is singed into my brain where uh, where Brad Johnson yep. had an open had an open shot at him, and he just naturally instinct whoop yep. made a miss and made a big play and so I think dude when when a new quarterback comes in at the time so Kellen Mond highly recruited guy mm-hmm. and there's always this sort of the life of an SEC quarterback it starts out He's rated as a 6.1 on Rivals. That's the highest Rivals rating that you have. It's a true five-star, number 21 overall prospect in the country, number one dual-threat quarterback in the entire nation, according to Rivals, class of 2017. So instantly, and we see this at South Carolina, expectations are this guy's taking us to the promised land. Mm Mm-hmm. And until we, we see it with the backup quarterbacks now, we, we see it, you know, with Luke Doty. Until you've had a chance to lose the trust of a fan base in a fan base's mind, all they're seeing are the possibilities. The wheels are turning. This, this guy's going to go win a Heisman and take us to a championship on the way. Well, then, as every quarterback does, Quarterback makes a few mistakes. Fan base realizes 
oh man, this guy's not perfect. He, <laughs> you know, like oh. he's he's not the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's it's what what are we? Is this guy really a, a five star? And then ultimately, even the very best, some people turn on you. I remember I remember people calling for for Dylan Thompson in the middle of the Connor Shaw, in the height of the Connor Shaw run. Some people turn on you. And so for Mond, he is now actually truly a senior, although he could come back next year if he wanted. He um, yeah, he will, he will be the, a five-year starter against South Carolina. <laughs> but the thing is, man, I feel like with Mond – there's an expectation he was going to be this super flashy, big play guy, NFL draft pick down the road potentially. And then I think the expectations sort of slowly have fallen, fallen, fallen. And But now I kind of feel like Chris, as a senior, he's sort of settled in to, to being comfortable being what he is and being comfortable playing within this offense. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to – I know every, everybody always puts game manager on, on Colin Hill. Like game manager is this huge insult. I don't want to say game manager in the negative aspect because he can still run the football. But as far as what they're asking him to do right now, 101 of 156 passing for 1,244 yards, that's almost 65% completions. 12 touchdowns, just two interceptions, has only taken two sacks this year, and has only rushed for 78 yards on just 28 carries with a long of 14. And like I said, man, they don't get sacked, so he's only lost eight yards. It's not one of those things where, you know, the sack yardage sometimes can really um, skew the rushing totals. Not the case here. So he's really sort of settled in to being the guy that's a point guard at quarterback, I, I feel like. Get the ball to Isaiah Spiller, downhill running attack, really good offensive line. Muschamp mentioned they returned four of the five starters. Receiving four that has multiple guys that are in that like 15 to 20 receptions range. It's not a shy Smith offense where one guy is doing everything. Then throw in the fact they have an outstanding tight end who can block and help in the passing game. So I kind of feel like Mind has settled in to the point guard of this offense. He's not making a lot of mistakes. And for South Carolina, Chris, I know I'm going very long-winded on this, but for South Carolina, that's very scary because you're talking about a defense that, A, is predicated on – turnovers and red zone defense and B is predicated predicated on getting teams in passing situations and getting to the quarterback so that they then force you, you don't force a lot of turnovers without getting pressure on the quarterback is my belief so he's not a guy that gets sacked a lot great running game even if you do get pressure on him he's going to extend plays on you and keep you know keep them out of bad plays and keep them out of negative plays, I should say. On paper, everything I just said, it's like that plus that plus that plus that equals 
not a great matchup for the South Carolina Gamecocks. That's right. That I mean, you nailed it. It is it's scary facing, you know, freshman Kellen Mond, which you weren't sure. It's a mixed bag that year, right? That Kellen Mond brought and the inexperience and he didn't play as well his freshman year in that game, but he made plays down the stretch and we've seen him grow, like you said. So now he's a guy that he's smarter with the football. Um, he's a better distributor, plays more within the offense, but also still can definitely hurt you with his legs, right? And so, like, if, if you think of the nightmare scenario, it's maybe some of what we saw against LSU with if AM's running the ball effectively, that's a problem, number one. But then number two, and that's going to change how you call your defense, how you structure things like we saw against LSU. And then secondly, if you do get them in third and longer situations, not only do you have to worry about Kellen Mond just making a throw or maybe you don't get enough pressure and you give him a lot of time, now he can also scramble around, right, and make some plays for you. And so this A&M offense isn't even, you know, they're missing Jamon Osbin, who was their top wideout, opted out before the season. Uh, they had two tight ends that were going to play roles for them. They're out. Weidermeyer's still in there. He's still really good. But I do think when you think of this A&M offense, we haven't even started on the defense, but offensively, you know, Spiller and that O-line can cause you a lot of problems. But Kellen Mond, I think, has been the X factor in this game and and could continue to be. I mean, that'll be the most important player both for A&M and for South Carolina in my mind because we can talk about stopping the run a lot, and we should, and that'll be a huge key. But in third and seven, if you're fortunate enough to get to third and seven, can you get off the field? He's going to make it hard on you, you know. So you, you look even freshman year. South Carolina at A&M, he had a good game. He's 19 for 27, 159 yards. Wasn't making a bunch of big plays. You know, his longest pass was 26 yards. But he also rushed 16 times for 95 yards. Um, And he got himself out of some trouble at times. He rushed the football at times and played well. You know, you look at the 18 game in South Carolina, the one where A&M got up front, South Carolina came back. Rushing totals weren't as great then, 13 for 25, but – he was efficient with the ball. He passed for 350 yards. Uh, he didn't turn the football over. That was very important. And then, you know, last year, probably a little bit of a wash when we look at that game. South Carolina was so, so poor offensively. They couldn't move the ball at all. Um, they actually played well on defense at the beginning of the game until they wore out. But last year, you know, 20 of 33, 221 yards a touchdown, and he ran 10 times for 47 yards. So I think, honestly – that first year game would be worse for South Carolina. If he's if Kellen Mond's running 10 times for 95 yards, that's a bad result for the game. It's going to be hard to win if he's getting loose like that. Yeah, and I think for, for me, and Chandler here asked a great question on, on Facebook, um, could what A&M does be similar to Finley and LSU? I I would say to an extent, yes, and you know you're, but you're talking about with a a veteran guy at, at quarterback. For me, the scariest thing for South Carolina is I'm pulling up, and obviously the guy at SEC Statcat, outstanding job, and I rely on them. You know, if I, I sort of want a, a big picture look at how a guy has performed so far this year. You look at mind, man, and and the thing about these stats is he'll go beyond your simple just like 
completion percentage, and he has what he calls an accuracy percentage. So what percentage of your throws are accurate? Mind, according to SEC StatCat, is second in the SEC behind just Mac Jones, 70.51% of his passes so far have been accurate. So to me, that your your big your big fear for Carolina, they do play a lot of this sort of off-man coverage. And your big fear is that they're running the ball on first and second down. And that they're getting into these second and third and short, you know, plays where you can run it or throw it. And then you're just dinking and dunking, picking South Carolina apart with these short, accurate passes. And then it once again, it becomes a game where it's all about A, can South Carolina just outscore them? Or if you're lucky, it's a, it, even becomes a game where you just have to force a lot of field goals. I think now we've seen, interestingly enough, it doesn't always, when you compare one game from one year, like year over year to the next, it doesn't always translate. But last year, A&M really was dominating that game, but it's 13-3 to going to the fourth quarter because South Carolina forced some field goals. Um, South Carolina was down, wasn't it 16 to nothing? That's right. In Columbia. 18 and Yeah, and that was – was that three field goals that they forced to get to 16, or was there a missed extra point in that game? I think they forced a bunch of field goals in, in that game, uh, for what I remember. So th- they have, for whatever reason, whether it means anything or not, been able to force field goals against A&M, and they've been able to hang in these games. Even I feel like A&M games – Really, the entire time Muschamp has been here, I'll even go back to to the Sean Elliott game. You know, when when Perry was the quarterback, Carolina has gone into these games every year as a sort of slight to intermediate underdog, not a huge underdog, but not really like you know razor thin line either. And every single game, South Carolina has found a way to hang in there but never really been in a position to actually go win the game. Now, they were up 17-7. I guess that was Muschamp's first year. No, his second year. On the road. Yep. And really were in position to actually win that game. And A&M played really well down the stretch, and South Carolina couldn't move the ball late in the game. And then we all know what happened. But all, all these games, it's it's sort of like the programs, even though the the – cast of characters has changed the the actual way you sort of uh frame this game going in has kind of been the same every year i feel like yeah i mean it's ended up being close games like you said those don't um it it, because it's close or been close past few years that doesn't mean okay it's the the fourth year of this game between these you know these coaches these particular teams that, you know, hey, now you're going to get a 30-point margin. I mean, or it's going to be the same. You don't really know. What what you do think about this game is that, and I thought this about LSU was totally wrong, you, you feel like it can be close. I think you feel like that because South Carolina does have the potential, I think, to be better offensively than we saw in 2017 for sure. That That was not a very good – 
you know, offensive football team when you think about that with some of the games that they had that year. 17 games, South Carolina, you know, they scored 10 in the first half. They were up 10 to 7 at the half, scored a touchdown in the third quarter. That was it, 17 points. Last year, obviously, they couldn't do – they were at the point in the season when they weren't doing anything offensively. Um, You know, so you look at those things and you say, well, what's different this year? You feel like they've got the potential to run the football better than than they have and maybe be better offensively. Will they? We'll see. But I think some of the same concerns that Texas A&M is going to bring offensively are still there, right? Can you get off the field on third third downs, um, the run game, offensive line, and then Kellen Mond, you know, hurting you on third down? That's – that to me is really that's the same. And so if you can't if you can't force field goals, if you can't get off the field on third down, you're probably not going to win the game. Um, you're exactly right. That's what South Carolina is going to have to do. You know, I, I look at you know, back at that 17 game in terms of just what ended up happening there, Kellen Mond made some plays, you know. Um they they got a field goal in the third quarter. Then you look at when they went to, to make it 17-10, when they got into the third quarter to go tie it up, Kellen Mond had an 18-yard run. Um, they had a second and 17 at the South Carolina 44. Kellen Mond completes his longest pass of the game for 26 yards to get them down in business. You know, uh, he run, he has a nine-yard run on second and eight down to the seven. So Thanks, Kellen Mond ended up making. All right, I think we I think we lost Chris there. I don't know what happened. But yeah, so to to his point, obviously with with mind, um you you're, you're going to have to get some pressure on him. Bring Chris right back in. I don't know what happened there. I dropped out for a second. You want to uh continue your thought? <laughs> no, that I don't know where I cut off there, but what I, what I was saying is in that 17 game because it is the same player, you know, there is a little bit more of a pattern potentially or some things that can happen. And that is Kellen Mond making you pay. And so in the third quarter, he helped engineer some things to where they were down. And then it's, I think 17 to seven, like you said, they got a field goal, 17, 10, you're still feeling okay for South Carolina. Then you got a punt. Then he starts extending drives, right? Um, he has an 18 yard run to open the drive. Kellen Mond does. Then um, there's a second and 18, 26-yard pass, which was, by the way, his longest of the game, to get them down to the South Carolina 18. Then a nine-yard run, right, to get them in business. I think South Carolina had a personal foul on that drive. They end up scoring, they tie it, then they get one later. Kellen Mond ended up being the difference in that game because South Carolina had some chances to get him on the ground. They didn't. He made some plays with his legs. So the formula is the same for A&M offensively. Try to run the ball. Let Kellen Mond extend plays, let him distribute the football, don't make any mistakes offensively. And so South Carolina, that's the cycle that they're going to have to break. That's the case for any team, but we have a lot of film on Mond against South Carolina and other teams to know what he's capable of. So they're going to have to get him off rhythm, and that can be hard to do for a guy with his mobility. Let's talk a little Carolina offense versus AM defense. Um Man, I think just very for, for me, this is just a very SEC defense for A and M. Like when I think of your typical SEC defense, some big dudes up front that are athletic can get after the passer. Um, some tough nosed linebackers that have experience and 
rack up a bunch of tackles, a hard-hitting safety, and then uh, athleticism across the board in the defensive backfield. And you sort of look and you start to say, all right, where are the holes? And what what can you attack? I, I don't know if there's a ton of holes within this defense, but I will say, man, one thing I, I looked up, and this is entirely a statistical thing that I'm about to say. Like, I, I don't know on the field the actual matchup athleticism-wise if this is going to translate. But one thing I did notice, man, when teams attack their tight ends in the passing game, if you look at PFF and sort of their grades and, and how they do in the different areas, pretty strong across the board. Uh, like I said, they, they got like three or four guys that can get after you in the passing, you know, pass rush department. So you got to worry about that. But Buddy Johnson, who is sort of their version of Ernest Jones, racks up tackles. Um, I think he's right behind Ernest in tackles in the SEC this year. He's sort of their dude in the middle. Well, if you sort of dive in on PFF, man, this kid has been targeted. Basically, the receiver he's guarding, that he's around, has been targeted 22 times so far this year. And that receiver has a reception 20 of those 22 times. So that is a 90% completion rate, which already factors in it still counts as a target even if the the guy tight end drops the ball you know so the fact that 90 percent of the balls and it at that volume as well 22 times in you know in five games for 225 yards and for two touchdowns and with 156 of those yards coming after the catch I think you look and maybe if you're South Carolina and the tight ends you have, it could be the potential for for a big game for those guys. Because I, I think you're all Bobo. We we know Bobo is always going to look Chris and say, "Where's my matchup? Do I have an advantage? Is there something I can find here that that works to my uh, to my advantage?" And to me, it, it does. The the stat stuff sometimes we get too involved in it and it doesn't really translate like that. But that just was like a glaring, okay, maybe there is something there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and you got to – no doubt Mike Bobo will be looking at those matchups. Of course, when you look at South Carolina playing against any team, no matter the matchup, their, their bread and butter is going to need to be running the football, right? They, they need to be able to do that effectively. And they did against LSU when you look at eight yards of carry, but the problem was defensively they didn't do much of anything. LSU went up and down the field sort of at will, and that became an issue to where South Carolina couldn't afford to sputter any on offense, and this is not an offense that's going to go score on every drive at South Carolina, just just to be realistic. And, you know, some of A&M's games this year, I totally agree with you, can't pay attention to the stats because, like, you look at their game against Alabama, they lost, what, 52-24. to 24. They put up a lot of yards in that game. Um, they possessed the ball longer than Alabama. They had more first downs in Alabama. The key there for Alabama is because, you know, they did what they do against everybody. They're super explosive offensively in the pass game. They go and they score quickly. They have a bunch of big plays. South Carolina hasn't been able to dial up many of those. So unless they somehow just 
pull a game like that out, which would be fantastic for South Carolina, you're going to have to look at other areas like tight ends, like running the ball, like getting into third and manageables. If they're in third and seven all day against A&M, they've got some guys that can tee off on you, um, which is sort of what we saw against LSU, and that's not going to be a good matchup. Um, but, you know, going back to some of the statistical anomalies for A&M, even if you move beyond um, Alabama, you know, what we saw last week with Arkansas, an Arkansas team that's looked improved this year, you know, Arkansas wasn't very good on third down, but they had more first downs than A&M. They had more total yards. Passing yards are fairly even. They had more rushing yards. I mean, Arkansas had 222 rushing yards, and the turnover margin was equal. There are no turnovers in that game. Um, A&M was just – they were better on third downs, um, and they were a little bit more explosive in the passing game, and that's what it came down to. So, you know, I think for Carolina – they're going to have to find a way to manufacture some explosive plays. They're going to have to stay out of third and long situations uh, to, to open up the playbook possibilities. But to me, the, the the key for this one, even moving to offense, because those things complement each other, Carolina's just going to have to have a much better defensive performance. And that's why we're going to spend so much time and already have talking about mine and how you try to get A&M off the field offensively. The more you dive into this A&M team, the more concerning I think the matchups are, Wes, when you look at what they've done this year. Yeah, like, like I said, man, you, you start adding all these things together, it equals a, a tough matchup. Now, um, th- that's why they play the games. I, I think it's, it's not like this is some dominant A&M team right now. Um, not saying South Carolina is not going to hang around and make it a game. It's just can can they find those plays? And in this season – Obviously, take away LSU, that game went off the rails for South Carolina. But most of these teams are within striking distance of each other. If 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 you lined up all the SEC schools, obviously not Alabama, and then on the other end, not Vanderbilt. But if you lined up most of these schools and just threw them in there, you know, I, I'd maybe even maybe Georgia, Georgia or Florida is sort of above everybody else, not named Alabama. But everybody else, you throw them in on any given day, it's going to be within, I would say, a few plays of each other where it's, who, you know, who's going to make those plays. The problem is, is there a path for South Carolina to make those plays on Saturday? Now, I did see some talk online that mind uh, traditionally, and you do, there. This, the data is there. We just need to go look at it. Traditionally, as his time has gone on, has not been near as good on the road as he has been at home. You have the data that South Carolina under Will Muschamp is 4-0 coming off of a bye week. So they actually have done a really good job of cleaning up issues during the bye week. And I I think at the very least, you're going to see an outstanding effort from South Carolina against the run defensively. Um, I I don't think Will Muschamp is going to accept anything less than that on Saturday because like, like Zach Pickens said, at this point, it's sort of a matter of pride. You get knocked around the way they did last week. We we've seen this in football. These are not these are not chess pieces. They're not. It's not played on paper. They they are human beings, and there is a value from having a full bye week to get ready for an opponent. And there is a value from sort of sort of being knocked in the dirt a little bit, I, I think, and having your manhood questioned, you know, for for a couple weeks. So w- we'll see. Ultimately, it comes down to matchups and the best players and the strongest players and stuff like that. But 
want to, um, you know, it, it's something that, that matters as well. So, so we will see how all those things add up and result in the game on Saturday. But uh, before we move forward, I do want to talk a little bit about, because we still, Chris, have people talking about the quarterback situation. I know you um, very smartly avoided all the Luke Doty interviews, or, or Luke Doty rumors, I should say, by uh, getting out of town. But, <laughs> yeah, you, you missed that on sun, on Sunday night and, and Monday morning. But before we get into that, let's tell everybody, Chris, uh, about our new sponsor. Do you, do you got some product there to show everybody? I do have some products. So we're very excited that here on GC Live, Wes and I are partnering with Dead Soxie. And I've got some of their product right here. This is how it came shipped, Wes. Wes is getting his hands on these on probably Friday, right? I've got a batch of matching ones for you. This is how uh, about six pairs of socks came in a really cool box. And then individually they're wrapped. Dead Soxy is uh, the new standard in premium dress socks. Highest quality fabrics. Buttery soft feel. I checked them out last night. Once I got them, I got back into town. They're waiting on me from FedEx. Uh, they also have this no slip technology. So there's these silicone beads that are in the well. Those of you who wear really any kind of socks, but especially like a dress sock, if you've been wearing them all day, they might slip up and down. You got to pull them up and down. It's really irritating. You won't find that with these. They're super soft, no slip. Uh, they've got no show socks, right? That you can wear with like loafers, sneakers or their boardroom line, which is dress socks. And for our listeners on the show, Dead Socks is going to give you free money to check out the product. So $10 at checkout uh, that you can use when you use our unique referral link through GC Live. You can go there. You'll automatically get $10 at checkout. They'll just ask for your email, and you can claim it when you use our checkout link. So I'll show you a couple of these real quick. They got these... Cool designs. They got all sorts of different ones. These are just some that they sent me. These are pretty colorful. If you like a little colorful vibe. And Wes just popped up the link there on YouTube. And Periscope again, $10 free. These are the no-shows. These are really cool. These are my favorite. They just come like this. Again, a lot of different colors. They just sent me some various ones. So you see they're sort of ankle socks. These things are super cool. Uh, real soft, real comfortable. And they don't slip up and down all the time. So... Uh, <laughs> they're not Clemson colors. They have some Clemson colors, I guess you could say, although they're not affiliated with those. Um, but Dead Soxy, I'm also pretty excited to say they're going to have some stuff coming down the pipe soon. I think Gamecock fans are going to like to, but for now, go check out their dress sock categories and use that link right there to get $10 at checkout. How's that sound, Wes? Sorry, I'm ready to get mine. I will, uh, I will get mine Friday and... Let's go ahead and knock it all out, man. On Friday, if y'all want to come hang out, maybe maybe have a little have a little drink and um, see some of our friends. Where where are we going to be at on on Friday afternoon? Friday happy hour, Chris. Yeah, so a Friday we've been this has been in the works for a while. A Friday happy hour edition of GC Live um, at Angry Fish Brewing Company. If you've never been there, you've made a mistake. But you can remedy that by coming out at about 4.30 to 5.30, Angry Fish Brewing Company. Kenny and the crew over there do an outstanding job. They have absolutely love their brews. They know a ton about it if you ever get a chance to chat with them. And it is really, really good stuff, I can tell you for sure. Um, so make sure you check those out. 
those guys out there at uh, 106 Faberster Lane in Lexington. You just go down the little road, and they're right back in Unit C. 430 to 530 West and I will be out there broadcasting live um, from Angry Fish Brewing Company. And they're also going to have their food truck out there. Probably won't be ready during happy hour, but come for happy hour. Stay for Angry Eats, which is their food truck. And make sure you check those guys out. Guys, seen some comments about Clemson colors. Not Clemson colors, all right? Because the lighting, when I'm putting it up against the thing here, is a little off. These are much more copper and blue. So, sorry if you don't like that, but guess what? They got other colors, too, with dead socks. <laughs> you need to go check it out. Don't get too offended. It's all good, all right? Oh, man. you yeah. def- Dude, you set some people off. Got RJ um, puking over here. Man, I'll tell you what. You guys are going to be, I think, very happy in the near future with some of the stuff that Dead Soxy's coming out with that would be, I guess you could say, a little bit more geared to Carolina fans. Uh, but they got all sorts of colors, different types of socks. They got women's socks, too, so check some things out. For your wife, if you would like to see your director to that, make sure you use your $10 at checkout. But, yeah, so really exciting stuff. Dead Soxy on board with us. Make sure you check those guys out. And then Angry Fish this Friday. Happy hour with Wes and I, 4.30 to 5.30 or so, and you can stay as late as you want, obviously. Yeah, maybe maybe we can give something away, man. And if, if you want to see those socks in person, Chris will prove at Angry Fish that they are uh, not Clemson colors. Anyway, all right, let's get back to the game. Quarterback position. Dude, <laughs> the the reaction, so, so Muschamp got asked, of course, on Tuesday about, Who's going to be the starter? And, or, he, you know, is Colin Hill your starter? Yes. Just like, you know, yes. Yes. Which we, we all, we knew. Uh, the, the rumor started. And I think, man, so rumor, the anatomy of the message board Twitter rumor in the year that is 2020 is pretty interesting. And I've kind of gotten to the point, I think, not always, but I can kind of trace down where, where some of these things start. And it's funny. It's kind of like a game of telephone because I I think, because I've heard it too, it's sort of floating around out there. I think there's a good chance Luke Doty gets some more snaps in the next couple weeks at, at quarterback. We saw, you know, the little flash of, of brilliance there against LSU. You see the talent. And so I think it sort of started floating around from legitimate places. Hey, there's, you know, Luke Doty is going to get some more opportunities. And then I think because of like the game of, of telephone, it starts out, Hey, Luke Doty, he, he's going to play on Saturday at quarterback. And then I think that gets turned into, Hey man, did, did you see did you see Luke Doty's playing? And then it turns into Luke Doty might start. And then it turns into Luke Doty is going to start. <laughs> right. And now it's a, and now because a lot of times people are talking to the same people. So it's, hey, I heard this from two different people that Luke Doty is starting at quarterback. And... Well, it's because those those two people heard it from 
their same original spot or somebody that heard it down the line from that same person. So it sort of just snowballs. And a lot of times there is some, there's some truthful element to it, but just not to the extent that the rumor actually gets going. So I, I do think that, again, Luke is going to play more, I think, down the stretch. We will see if it plays out that way. We'll see if I'm right. But I – so we had, we had somebody else uh, – let's see. I'm going to credit them. Daniel asked about the quarterback position again. He says, you know, why is our five-star quarterback not playing? First of all, South Carolina does not have a true five-star quarterback on their roster right now. Um, he says Hill has been okay, just an okay system quarterback, not a game-changer like highly recruited Linsky or Doty should be. So, Chris, I, I talked a ton about QB on Monday, talked about a little bit more yesterday. So I'll just open it up to you, man. Your thoughts on Hill's play so far and sort of the quarterback position moving forward. So I would I would agree that Colin Hill has not made a bunch of game-changing plays in that we haven't seen a ton of explosive plays in this offense, which I don't know that we really anticipated because of the lack of explosive playmaking at receiver. If you're going to be explosive in the passing game, you typically need explosion at receiver. South Carolina doesn't have as much of that. Um, we saw more of it from Colin Hill at Colorado State. He actually had some NFL wideouts. Um, we saw more of it. I would say he's made some game-changing plays sort of in a reverse type of way by taking – care of the football for the most part, right? That's important for this offense. We always talk about such low margins for this offense. This is not an offense that's good enough or was expected to be good enough in year one of the Bobo era to come out and, you know, go three and out a bunch and be able to get into third and nine a bunch. So we always talk with Colin Hill in terms of this trade-off, the trade-off of being safe being able to get South Carolina in the correct run looks against particular defenses or change out of bad plays, which again, for this offense shouldn't be discounted. And you have to measure that against a lack of mobility, a pocket presence that has not really been as good. We saw that against LSU a lot where I think he held the ball too long, hesitated, took some sacks that South Carolina could not afford. Right. So I do understand that trade-off. I do understand the want to see better quarterback play because you're going to see that no matter who is in there. I mean, Wes just mentioned earlier, Connor Shaw, best quarterback in Gamecock history, and people are clamoring for the next guy off the bench because of whatever may happen. He goes three and out on a drive or whatever it may be. So I understand that. I also understand that Ryan Holinsky is someone that South Carolina fans look at and they say this guy was a four-star. He's way more highly recruited. They think about what he did, say, against Alabama last year. They think about that and sort of project on that. But, look, Will Muschamp knows this is an important year. Mike Bobo does too. So I guess the the place I go with that, and and I am getting long-winded, but there's a lot to unpack here. If if South Carolina believed Ryan Holinsky was better based on what they saw in preseason, where they're not just saying, uh, let's see, Colin Hill knows Mike Bobo, so we'll just pick him. Like, they're just picking it out of a hat. They do chart production in scrimmages. They do chart production in a variety of different metrics. And they continue looking at it during preseason and in the game. If they felt like Kalinsky was better, I, w- 
I would think they would play him, right? I, I, I have seen – I do understand people saying, well, Will Muschamp doesn't change the quarterbacks as much as Steve Spurrier or whatever. He did make some changes in his first year, 2016. You know, he goes from Perry Ort to Brandon McElwain. Um, we saw Jake Bentley finally get to take over. They moved the team forward. They did that. Could that happen at some point, whether it's this year, next year? I mean, maybe so. Um, but there's just a lot to weigh out. Luke Doty is a guy who's a tremendous talent. I think he's got a chance to be really good, and he's obviously brings a complete different dimension with his ability to run the ball. He's not as ahead as Ryan and Luke in terms of throwing the football because he's not as experienced as those guys, right? So it totally makes sense. So I understand the need to get better. If, if they're going to get better, somebody, whoever it is, has to help create some more explosive plays, has to be able to get rid of the ball quicker, whether that's scrambling out, whether that's getting rid of it in the pocket. I do understand it, but that it doesn't mean that you automatically have an option that's dramatically better on the bench, if that makes sense. Well, and so Trey, uh, Trey says, I'd rather lose being aggressive than lose being safe. I mean, everybody always wants more aggressiveness until – you get aggressive and throw an interception, and then the second your quarterback throws an interception, everybody turns on him. So it, it's easy to say that now. And I, there's different types of aggressiveness. Don't get me wrong. Are we talking about aggressiveness like going for it on fourth down? I, I would rather South Carolina. I believe they should go for it on more fourth, fourth downs personally. Um, I think generally teams that go for it on fourth down, it, it works out in their favor, and I think the analytics – actually sort of bear that out but if you're talking about aggressiveness every quarterback we we had Perry on last week Perry Orth every quarterback is walking this line between should I throw this pass or not and you know it's 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 not an easy line to walk so being uber aggressive as a quarterback in making those decisions is not you don't want the guy that's too aggressive now do you want the guy who's just throwing drop-down pass after drop-down pass, you don't want that either. It has to be a happy medium. And the problem is that that line is ever-moving because it's affected by your offensive line versus their defensive line. It's affected by your receivers and if they can get open and catch the football or not. It's frankly affected by if you trust your wide receiver. If you have Alshon Jeffrey and it's third and long, Throw the ball up. Let it rip. Yeah, if you don't, you know, may, it maybe it's different. You you know, so I, I think there, it's not it's not as simple. You know, I get what Trey is saying, but it's not as simple as just I'd rather be I'd rather be aggressive. Not everybody. I love aggressiveness, especially when you're more talented than the other team, because you can sort of um, enforce your will on a team. But when you're talking about a low like you talked about, Chris, a low margin for error team. The second South Carolina, the, the, the pick six, everybody is crucifying Hill for the pick six. And it, it was a bad play from, I would say, both QB and receiver. I think it's both. But everybody wants aggressiveness until that aggressiveness gets you a pick six, and then everybody's ready to take you out of the game. So, you know, let's be honest about that. Uh, Daniel says they were five stars at one point before they committed to South Carolina. I hate this narrative. Not true. Um, Rivals never had Luke Doty as a five-star. Rivals never had Ryan Helensky as a five-star. 
Correct. Correct. Okay. You. Yeah. You. I was. I was making. I know they didn't have Doty, and I. I didn't think they had Alinsky either. Yeah. So this Alinsky narrative actually moved up over time. So did. Uh, so did Luke. So did yeah. Luke. Those, those moved, guys both moved up after they committed. Right. See, and I. I. This is why we live. I'm hesitant, but we we live we live in an era when people just say stuff and it doesn't even have to be true and then it just gets spread as if it's true because other people say it over and over enough H- have guys that are committed to South Carolina moved down before absolutely not saying they haven't but to just blindly say oh they were five stars and they moved down it's not right. true it's just not true it, so it, the the other flip side of it is you know guys that we see in recruiting a lot, you know, the notion that if a guy is a really good player, he should be a five-star. Well, <laughs> a five-star, I mean, I remember that about Farrow Cooper. That was a big one. Farrow started out as a two-star, ended up being a four, which was a good call and arguably could have been much higher. But a lot of people said, well, Farrow should have been a five-star because he was really, really good at South Carolina. That's fine. But five-star is a first-round pick, you know, there's only 25 to 35 of them a year in the country. So you're talking about a guy that you expect to go, you know, probably be an All-American, start from day one, be an All-American, go three and out, go in the first round of the NFL draft. And that wasn't Pharaoh, just to use him as an example. Was he really, really good? Yes. But so is a four-star. If you're a four-star high school football prospect, you're in the top. I don't have the exact percent, but you're in the top. 5% conservatively of all football players in the entire world. So that's pretty good, right? I mean, it's really good. Yeah, you're you're a stud, period. So, I mean, so we, we got some good – not a lot of questions today, but some good comments. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, BM B, B says uh, – can we still pass it to Scotty Spurrier in the corner of the end zone on a trick play like in the spring game? No one will see that coming. So I I don't think you'd get away with that, but at this point, may, maybe it's worth trying. I, I think it is worth trying. The SEC officials haven't seen much this year, so they might just – Hey, sir. I'm sorry. I didn't, we didn't see it, guys. And they didn't even replay it. Yeah, all right. We, we purposely – we have not – we've kept this to football only. But yeah. did, did you see the Saturday Down South tweet? I know y'all had to have seen the Saturday Down South tweet about um, no matter who wins the election, um, I just hope that the at SEC officiating uh, Twitter account is not the one reviewing the results. Brutal. Yeah, brutal but true. Yeah. Funny, funny but true. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, y'all got any questions? We got about five minutes left. What what is on your mind? We're hey, so so we got a we need to get an A and M person to uh, to come on later in the week. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna effort. You said we did we need one. Yeah, we we need to get one. Wes and I are just. I mean, we're to the portion of the show where we're just making our plans on the show. And, and openly discussing policies and what we're going to do. No, we uh we need to effort getting uh, Mark Passwaters on. That's on my list. 
my long catch-up list as I come back into town, but I feel fairly certain he would uh, be m- more than willing to come on from AggieL.com and chat with us about the Aggies. So we'll try to uh, make that happen on – we need to do it tomorrow, I guess, Wes, or we can maybe effort it on Friday and he can he can join us virtually at Angry Fish in Lexington. Yeah, we'll make that happen. He will not be able to have an Angry Fish beer virtually, so he will not. He will probably be upset about that. But if you come out, you can have one with us, and that will be fun. So, all right, y'all. I'm not really seeing any questions, uh, Chris. What, what's your? I won't say final thoughts on the matchup, but I, I did. You know, I, I think it was interesting going back to, to our our one little sort of newsy thing this week. It's just listening to the guys talk today. Um, Helensky getting the talk, I, I think, was was interesting. You don't always see that from a backup quarterback. Handled all the questions very well, I thought. Um, and then Hill, you know, talking about sort of his focus has been on timing and timing with the receivers and getting the ball out a little bit quicker. And, dude, so I I, I kind of have a question. It's it's a comment, but it's a in the form of a question. And so when when I tweeted on Tuesday that Muschamp said Colin Hill was going to start. Instantly, there was this response. There's this backlash where um, people were like, what, what, why is, why is Colin Hill still the quarterback? Or people were saying, well, South Carolina is going to lose, blah, blah, blah. And so I, I understand Colin is a grad transfer. He's an upperclassman. So there is this sort of, sense that maybe he is what he is you know as far as can he get better but it's kind of interesting because he's a grad transfer I feel like he has not been afforded that kind of honeymoon period where you give a quarterback sort of that little window to sort of figure things out now, you, you may say, I, I see both sides of this argument. You may say, well, this is an upperclassman. He's been in this offense. He he is what he is. But there, there were people going off on Twitter midway through the first half of the Tennessee game. Mm-hmm. Why is Colin Hill at quarterback? So my, my question slash comment is, is it really that crazy to think, okay, maybe Colin Hill with a little bit of time under his belt against SEC defensive linemen can adjust and say, hey, my clock's got to be a little faster. I got to get the ball out a little bit quicker. There's a very quick sort of opportunity when I drop back, and even when guys are blocked, that's not going to last because – that sort of I talked about that sort of second wave against LSU where there's an initial, you know, Carolina has the guy blocked, but they aren't able to keep LSU's defensive lineman engaged. They disengage from the block, and then boom, Hill is on the ground. So are we really to think that Hill just is what he is? Or even as an upperclassman, who I will say, as old as he is, has had his playing time consistently derailed by injury every time he's gotten opportunities. I don't think it's completely far-fetched to say that the guy can get better. There's always opportunities to improve. And one thing Hill's talked about is 
having that that clock go off where either you throw the ball away or you just get forward. And it, it's not going to be a 10-yard run most of the time. But just getting forward, getting back to the line of scrimmage, negating that big negative play can can really obviously be big for an offense that is predicated on running the football. So I, I feel like we we as a collective, not us, but as the people that follow Carolina football, have been very, very quick to jump on Colin Hill from a negative standpoint. And a lot of that is because Ryan Helensky started last year, was highly recruited, and was not able to win the job this year. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying is not far-fetched, I wouldn't say. Um, I think it is an age thing. It's an experience thing. And and I think we talk about that experience so much that it's easy to think, okay, Colin Hill is a grad. He's a senior. So, therefore, he's played in uh, 45 games. But he hasn't. You know, he's played in, I think, 20, 19 or 20 before he got to Carolina. So, he's basically a sophomore in experience, end of sophomore year, going into junior year, pretty much, if not even that, really, going in. Um, and, and none of this I'm saying is an excuse. Like, oh, Colin Hill, by the end of the year, is going to be a you know a Heisman contender. I'm not saying that at all. But what you're saying has validity in that, this is not a senior with 40 games under his belt who's done as a finished product. He's also in a new setting. You know, he's not playing Fresno State anymore. You know, even even the worst SEC defenses are going to feature some guys. I mean, everybody in this league just about is going to have pass rushers, and they get to you in a hurry. You know, so you do have to adjust for that. You're playing with completely new receivers. You're not throwing to Warren Jackson and, and – um, Trey McBride anymore and and all these guys. Now you're playing with new receivers and you've got some questions there too. And so while the offense is the same, while he has, you know, he came into Carolina having thrown, I think 400 passes in this offense and playing 19 or 20 games, that's not 40 games, you know? And so there is some room for him to get better. And he is a guy who's studious and watches film and can see those things and talk to Mike Bobo about them. They do have a good relationship and a good sort of, coach player dynamic and so if he improves in that area because that's been the main complaint right there's been two main complaints hope not mobile which isn't going to change it's just not so that's something you have to know but you also have to know that the two main complaints maybe can get better not pushing the ball downfield enough we've talked about some of the limitations that are still going to be there no matter what taking hill even out of the equation and number two getting rid of the ball faster not running into sacks not holding on to the ball too long can those get better? If they can, then it's going to help the offense, and Colin Hill will will play better. Yeah, so so we'll see. And again, I I purposely phrase that as a question because if I sit there and just say it, it sound it does sound like an excuse, and I, I know that's the reaction from some people. But I think too many times we think of these things as being static, and if anything, this team and this sport should should tell us that it's it's not static at all. You can play really well one week, and you can get beat the next. And is Colin Hill more of what we've seen in his better moments? Or is Colin Hill more of what we've seen you know, against LSU when, when things did sort of go off the rails? Usually, probably falls somewhere in the middle. But 
we'll, we'll find out with a full year of I, I just I don't think I, I agree with the notion of playing Doty some more just to get another playmaker on the field. But to make a full wholesale quarterback change, most coaches and I, I talked about this yesterday, Chris, and somebody else, I think it was RJ. Uh, forgive me if I, I got the wrong person, but somebody else said Steve Spurrier looked at the quarterback position very different than most. He treated it just like any other position nearly, whereas most coaches are very hesitant to just switch a guy out because of locker room sort of repercussions of doing that. If if you If you pull Hill – that really sort of means you just you just don't think he's the guy. Now, now Spurrier would pull a guy, and it was sort of known going in, if Spurrier pulls a quarterback, he's probably going to get another chance, you know? Like, it, it, he's only out until the next guy messes up. <laughs> I, I feel like most coaches sort of look like, this is the leader of my team. And once I sort of almost undermine that, it kind of means – it's the next guy's chance to to be the leader, and I, I just I don't think I think a lot would have to change for the staff to feel like that that change was was needed. So that, that's just my take. Now, if, if Hill goes out and does not play well against a And I I think there's a worry from the fan base, Chris, that they will be completely hesitant to ever make a change. If Hill does not play well, I one hundred percent think they will ultimately make a change I just don't think we're there yet based on one football game yeah I don't I don't think so either and because really the LSU game is the one that you could point to and say that wasn't good enough but we can also look at it and say well the defense is the big that's what I've been more surprised about does the quarterback play need to get better yeah the offense seem to get better yeah but the biggest the people the, the the position that people should put be putting even more energy towards is the defense, right? And that's the one that's going to be really the focal point on Saturday. They're going to be the one that everybody should be looking at is this game got defense. So they have to score points, yeah, for sure. But if they can't stop anybody like they did against LSU, that type of performance, it's not going to matter. This offense ain't going to light up the scoreboard regardless. They're not going to go out and score thirty five every game. If so, if they let the opponent do that every game for the rest rest of the five games that, that remain in this season, they're not going to win any games. That's, I mean, just just put it, call it like it is, frankly, bluntly, whatever it may be. So, But, but no, I'm with you. I mean, quarterback position's got to get better. Um, there's also, I think, this this notion out there about Steve Spurrier that he yanked – he played four quarterbacks a game. He just yanked got, – you got to throw an incomplete pass, get out. No, I'm not – and that wasn't always the case either. Did he change them? and do some things, whether it was at Florida or at South Carolina, a little differently than most, yes, he did. Um, now, that didn't always, I will say, didn't always work out well either, even though they put up – if you could take Spurrier's offense and you know, in heyday of South Carolina or Florida, you take that all the time. But the two-quarterback thing are changing all the time like it sounds good, but you don't do it just to do it. Like you do still look at what's going on in practice – what each guy's skill set is. People love to say, because I've heard it in sort of customer service on our site, don't make change for change's sake. You know, and that's sort of what you're doing if it's not the best move behind the scenes, you know. Yeah, if the opposing team's punter plays as many snaps in the game as Chris and I, yep. then 
not not a good sign. Okay. So, yeah, you you want that punter to to get a workout. And last week or two weeks ago, I guess technically last game for Carolina, the punter did not. The opposing punter did not get much work, and frankly, the Auburn punter didn't get a whole lot of work either because it was more interceptions and field goals. So, all right, y'all, that's going to be it for today. Chris and I will be back tomorrow afternoon. Appreciate the time. Appreciate everybody hanging in there. Enjoyed it as always. And um, Craig asked what our thoughts are on Georgia-Florida. We'll hit. Maybe we'll hit on that tomorrow or Friday, talk about some of the other games in the league. Appreciate Affordable Medical USA making the show possible. Appreciate our new sponsor, Dead Soxie. Appreciate Angry Fish. We'll be there on Friday. And, of course, go check out that watch party for the Texas A&M game at Market on Main, downtown Columbia, on Saturday night as well. For Chris, I'm Wes. We'll see you all tomorrow. Wendy's is giving you a chance to win cash. Head to a participating Wendy's, snap a pic when you try the new homestyle French toast sticks, and post it on social using the hashtag Wendy's French Toast Stick Sweeps or log on to Wendy's French Toast Sweeps.com. Wendy's new homestyle French toast sticks are crispy on the outside, fluffy on the inside. They're so good, they're the best thing to ever happen to breakfast. No purchase necessary. See rules at Wendy's French toast stick sweeps.com. Sweepstakes end September 11th, 2022. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.